Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our pool campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, church. I just really felt God sort of speaking to me about this before I get into the main testimony. But there is a name that is above every other name. Songs. Rich has been talking about it. And it's above every other name. I don't care what that name is you're facing. It could be my kid's got cancer. It could be my friends on drugs. It could be I've been having suicidal thoughts. But it does not matter. Because when you speak to it in the name of Jesus Christ, it has to bow. get to the New Testament now, but I just thought I had to say that. In Revelation 12, 11, it says, we overcome devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Testimonies are very, very powerful. I think the devil kind of hides that from us. We don't have a lot of testimonies. We don't speak about it a lot. But testimonies are just not just for people who don't know Jesus. They're for people who know Jesus to really build their faith. And I know also as a Christian that whatever is a threat to the devil, hell attacks. Hell doesn't waste bullets. The devil does not fight a war for the, for the sake of it. And before, sort of before, I got, uh, before I found Jesus and got into the, uh, you know, the Christian faith and uh, met Jesus, uh, I got really attacked. Um, before I got the Holy Spirit, my life completely started to fall apart. Um, and a year ago, I was in quite a bad place. Um, you see, in just the space of two months, just two months, all these three things happened. Um, yeah, the first attack against me went for my uh, uh, general health. I had a, I got glandular fever. It made it hard to get out of bed, uh, let alone walk, let alone uh, go just walking down to the shops. I don't think you can appreciate it. I just felt like I was collapsed, gonna collapse all the time. Uh, I just, mine was just completely gone. Didn't know where I was at. The second attack that came for me was at my throat to stop my calling in Christ. Um, which involves speaking. I had so many throat pains, uh, I had to have a tonsillectomy. Um, this is basically where they take out uh, the tonsils at the back of your throat. This caused extreme, extreme physical pain. Um, so that going on with the glandular fever as well. They put me on double doses of morphine, it was so painful. Uh, I was in such a bad place. And then on top of that, uh, just overnight, uh, my sort of worldly relationship with my girlfriend, that ended overnight as well, all in two months in such a bad place, in a pit. But the devil didn't stop there because then it was, it was time to take me out. He tried to take me out. One day during the recovery, recovery of my tonsillectomy, my throat started to bleed internally and I lost about two to three pints of blood down my own throat. Um, you know, uh, someone told me uh, just kind of randomly, I think it was, you know, it was obviously a God thing, um, that you can die uh, from losing four to five pints of blood. In other words, I was closer to being dead, really, than being alive. Um, up to this point, uh, I've been heavily involved in the, the New Age movement and spiritualism. If you don't know what that is, I'm going to tell you so you can stay away from it. Um, in spiritualism, they say it's communication with the spirits of the dead. It's not. It's communication with a kind of deceptive antichrist spirits that are set to deceive people. Um, you don't want to get involved with any of it. Um, and the New Age movement is quite big today. It's quite general. Um, it's basically a combination of things. You know, they t- talk about Buddhism. They talk about uh, higher consciousness and all this sort of weird stuff. Uh, 
the the aliens thing is a big part of it now. Um, you know, they're they're obsessed with it, and I think it's a, again, it's like uh, Dom said in the last of they're trying to get you this into this like evolutionary atheistic mindset where you like you can't even you're struggling to have faith. Um, but growing up, uh, I was always very psychic, and around 16, uh, age 16, 17, started to get way more into this, uh, uh, get into all this, and every night. Uh, I went to a spirit every sorry every Wednesday night every week. I went to a spiritualism circle, um, two to three hours um, a night. You know, when Christians can't even go to church for one hour a week and don't even use their spiritual gifts, there I am in the devil's camp, spending two to three hours solidly prophesying in the devil's name. And you know, uh, it blows my mind really when I you know when I became a Christian and how sort of lightly people take the Christian faith. I was just literally just training my ability to talk to spirits and to increase my psychic power. Um, one night, uh, like one of these spirits woke me up and they said, keep going to this circle of light. Well, the thing is, what that spirit didn't tell me is that the devil in 2 Corinthians 4.4 masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, you think it's all about peace, love, joy, and those things are important. They're fruits of the Spirit. But if it's not got the name of Jesus in it, then it's not the truth. You know, I was, in, I was into all of it. Reiki, acupuncture, yoga, meditation, third eye, crystals, all of it. You guys don't know how deep I was into it. Um, and this is, this is where we need spiritual discernment in the church. Because... Uh, they didn't call it the circle of uh, Jesus Christ. They called it the circle of light. And, you know, we, we, we don't appreciate the gravity of the false teaching that is out there. You know, uh, the devil is very specific. He knows what you're weak at. He knows how you think. He's got a plan for sp- specifically for all of you to, to, to bring you out of your faith, to, to stop you from even trying to get here today. He, you know, the, the Bible says he was made with, you know, wisdom before he fell. You know, he's not, he's not stupid. You've got to know your enemy if you want to take him down. A lot of people that go into spiritualism like I did, they're aware that's more out there, but they're looking for sort of spiritual power. And the thing is, before I became, I was kind of always drawn to Christianity, but, you know, no one ever witnessed to me. And I was looking for, like, something that was real, something with spiritual power. But I, I looked at a lot of Christians and was like, well, you claim an all-powerful God, and I kind of almost like this Jesus guy, but the problem is, like, you guys don't seem to walk in authority and power. Turns out what God revealed to me, he is actually all-powerful, but a lot of the vessels in the body of Christ are weak. I'm sorry I have to preach this, but some of you have no prayer life. Some of you do not have a fast in life. Some of you do not know your authority in the name of Jesus. Some of you do not use the blood of Jesus in your prayer. And some of you, your relationship with Jesus Christ is not even that intimate because that's where the power is in the one-on-one, heart-to-heart relationship with the Son of the living God. The first time I prayed in tongues, I literally felt a spirit come off of me. It like felt, I felt it detach off of me. And the anxiety and depression that that thing was carrying went with it and all my joy came back. You can golf clap the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is not your golf instructor. And this is not a putting green. Maybe it's just because I got the gift of faith down here, but a 50-50, lukewarm, wishy-washy Christian, a part-time Christian cannot take down a full-time demonic spirit. 
Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers, and uh, authorities of darkness, spiritual rulers. Uh, you, you, you know, in the book of Daniel, Daniel was uh, wrestling against a spiritual ruler, I think it says. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's strategies to this. I think it's Matthew 12 that says uh, Satan has a kingdom. Uh, how, you know, when he's talking about how can his kingdom stand, you know, there's a kingdom, there's a hierarchy to this. Um, and we don't, we don't really know about that. I can tell you it's real because uh, I've had a conversation with uh, some of these guys that are in this kingdom. Uh, John Ramirez, now a big Christian evangelist, was a, uh, he was an ex-Satanist for 25 years. He said he could bring even Bible-reading Christians to their knees by putting witchcraft on them. He said Christian after Christian, denomination after denomination, church after church, because they had no real power. They had the right suit on, they had the right Bible, but they had no real intimate, close connection with Jesus Christ. If you wonder why God's like revealed all this to me and why he kind of like chose me and why I'm here, uh, I was kind of sitting in a hair salon one day and I was like, God, why like, why me? Like I'm just some random kid from the new age. He said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. If you don't know what you're praying against, you cannot pray against it. But when you walk in Christ Jesus, when you talk in Christ Jesus, when you worship and follow and do fellowship and pay your tithes and do all that, I don't know any demonic spirit that can stay in a house like that. They'd rather run back to the gates of hell than stay in a place like that. I'm not going to preach you a watered-down gospel this morning. I'm sorry if this is uh, going to be a bit long, but um, I just felt the Lord's really speaking to me about all this. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't play Christianity. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen the reality of the spiritual world. Um, and, you know, we don't, really, we don't really see that in the church. People aren't really... Uh, maybe it's just because, you know, and great, you know, you've grown up in the Christian family. Amazing. But you don't appreciate the reality of the spiritual kind of world out there. The spirit world is more real than the physical world. Um, so after being in the New Age so long, so deeply deceived, so, you know, rebelling so much against God, uh, so much just deception and rebellion... Uh, I, I started to really question life. I started to really think like, well, is there a God out there? If so, who is he? Is it the Bible? Is it somebody else? Is it, you know, is it one of the other religions? Um, and then if you seek God with your whole heart, he will, he will answer you. If you really seek him, he will answer you. And uh, I really did kind of seek what was out there because, you know, I was just trying to make sense of everything that happened to me. And then one day I just had this total feeling of unconditional love, grace, mercy. I just had all this conviction of who, who Jesus was. Um, it was just amazing. I couldn't stop weeping. Uh, I've never cried like that in my life. It just tears just forced out of my forced out of my eyes. It was like in that moment, uh, my heart had been pierced by a spirit. You know, I started to research Jesus. Um, that day, that day, I felt like I really met the character of God—a God of complete power and authority. It says in the Bible that for the devil to attack us, he has to get permission. Do not be afraid of him, because we have more power on him. Jesus says, I will give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. Not some of it, church, all of it. 
there's another guy who is massively into the New Age. You can look him up. Did a really good uh, book called The Second Coming of the New Age. Shows how a lot of the roots of New Age and all that, uh, it's actually involved with Satanism, really. Um, but he, he was a massive New Age influencer. Um, and he went way further into it than I did. And he says he had an experience just like me. You can look all this up on like YouTube and stuff. Where he, went, um, he said he went into the forest one day. And uh, something came upon him, the Spirit of God. And he just broke down, couldn't stop crying. And he had all these feelings of like even the trees and the plants and the sea that was around him was made to worship. Like me, he was kind of completely let out of the New Age spiritualism started following Jesus um, I was actually uh, 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 just after sort of getting out of all this um, I was walking uh, on a path one day and this like pure white dove showed up right next to me it was literally glowing uh, as pure bright white uh, you know uh, the, it was like in that moment God was showing me a snippet of the glory of Jesus Christ I think some of you have got to get a better pair of sunglasses because the glory of heaven is going to blind you. It blinded Paul. It will blind you. It was so beautiful, so pure, so white. So even after all the rebellion, all the sin, all the worldliness, all the deep deception, God showed up, saved me, led me to here when he had really every reason not to. Would I really be like standing here right now if... You know, God hadn't done something. Would I really be speaking to you right now? And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and in you, it starts to convict you about stuff and change stuff. So instead of getting tarot cards out, I got out my Bible. Instead of getting to know girls at the club, I started getting to know the Lord Jesus. You're going to like this one. Instead of doing tequila shots at the bar, I started taking communion at the table of the Lord. Wow, that was a cute clap. Are we in a library or something? So I started coming to Sunny Hill, not because anyone from Sunny Hill actually came to my door and witnessed to me, <laughs> uh, but because God had to lead me every step of the way by his spirit. Jehovah Witnesses who have the wrong Jesus Christ and the wrong Bible, they outwitness all of you. That's what God, uh, God was really speaking to me about this. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, I am so grieved right now because you people are not trying to reach the lost anymore. Time is running out. Jesus Christ will return soon. Think of it that way, like if you need motivation. Uh, oh. My challenge to you, this, uh, my to a lot of you guys who come here regularly this week is uh, to invite, I think we talked about this in the last one, we, we want to invite five people next week you know invite 10 if you want to at least five people five five people who you thought would never come to Jesus Christ I challenge you to invite them this week just do it we want to see miracles we want to see fire we want to see the Holy Ghost like we've never seen it before let me find my place you know God wants you to sort of take this seriously um if it's just me on fire at the front here, you know, the devil can, can put that out. But if, if enough people are on fire, then hell runs out of firemen. And we see a Pentecostal-type revival in the church. I want to have to be booking out a football stadium because so many people are coming to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's bold. Maybe you roll your eyes at me, but I think that's the right way to see it.
You want to see multiplication in the church? You need fire. In the book, in the book of Acts, it says there were tongues of fire, and then there was revival. If you want revival, people have to get on fire. Um, and you know, uh, before I found Sunny Hill, I've been to about three other or th- three or four other churches. Well, they just all felt really dead. Uh, just something didn't feel right going to them. Um, Jesus said there are like churches that are like whitewashed tombs. In other words, they look kind of good on the outside, but on the inside they're void of the spirit of the living God. Sunny Hill is not that. I was super welcomed here. Uh, you know, no one here judges you, uh, which is what I have an issue with with a lot of the you know traditional church. So much judgment. You know, God does not need your help judging, bro. You know, Sunny Hills has given me a great community of believers, and that's, that's so important to your faith life. You know, this, this church is growing. God is behind it. And, you know, you might as well join us now because you're coming one way or not. I'll prophesy that. I'll prophesy. You know, uh, Jesus, was, uh, Jesus was tortured for you. He died on a rugged old cross, the Son of God, just, you know, uh, dying on the cross like a nobody. They say he was despised and rejected of men. Uh, Jesus Christ was right before the tradition, you know, the religious church and the religious church was spitting on him. Jesus Christ does not invite you to religion. He invites you to a one-on-one loving relationship. Christianity is about love, whether tradition and religion like it or not. Whoever does not love, whoever does uh, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Can I get, a, get an amen to that? You know, God, God loves every single one of you in this building so much. I don't know who you are. I don't know, you know, I probably haven't seen, like, I probably haven't even met most of you. But, uh, you know, God, God loves you guys so much. Every single one of you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you're coming from. God loves you so much. I'll leave you with a verse uh, from Revelation before I uh, pass over the mic. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. If you don't know it as Lord, Savior, friend, and brother, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart today. Come on. Don't be a fool. Don't close your heart. Please, just let him in. He He wants a loving relationship with you. This is what it's about. It was not nails that kept him there on that cross for you. It was the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. So good. So good. The love of Jesus fought for me, and it can fight for you too. Thank you. Clap for, clap for Jesus, not for me. Come on. Come on, you can do better than that, guys. You can do better than that. So good. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you reached Harrison, God. I thank you, God, that you called him out of the kingdom of darkness, Father, because you had a plan and a purpose for his life. But Harrison is not a one-off. He is not unique, God. God, I thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us in this room and every single one of us on this estate and every single one of us in this town and conurbation. And Father, I just pray, God, that we would just hear the challenge that Harrison brought, God that we would wake up as the church of Jesus Christ, that we would become the bride that you see in your heart, God, that we would become passionate about the ones who don't know you yet. And that, Father God, we would give our lives to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And so Father God, have your way in these moments as I talk. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, good, good. Good to see you today. My gosh, there were so many corkers in that. My favorite one was, thanks for the golf clap. I don't know if you heard that one, but I'm not a golf instructor. Instructor, what is it? Instructor. And this isn't a putting green. I was like, yes, I'm going to use that. I like that. Come on, we only give God the best. And uh, I really just want to follow up on some of the stuff that Harrison spoke about because I guess for us, some of us are naive or ignorant to the reality of the struggle that has been waged for the last few thousand years. And I've called the message this morning and I've only got 20 minutes. It's going to be the shortest preacher you'll ever hear from me. Come on. My gosh, now there's faith in the room, really? Okay, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. I don't know if you're aware of this, but as Harrison referenced, the actual kingdom of darkness and the forces of uh, the things of supernatural and the things we cannot see are more real than the things we do see. I think often as Christians, we get so fixated on the temple, get so fixated on the things of this world that we only think about our moment. And often we forget to even realize that there is a glorious eternity awaiting us because actually, first and foremost, we are spiritual beings before we are human beings. And and it's really important that we understand this because often the world will try to get you to live without consequence. And in fact, in Ephesians 6, this is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this, put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And for those of us who aren't used to thinking in this way, it's almost an alarming text because all of a sudden we're confronted with this reality that there is a force at work that is trying to take you out. And Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus, he's saying, hey, listen, you've got to put on the armor of God to stand against the strategies of the devil. You know, often in the church, we talk about the plan of God. We go, oh, the plan of God for my life, the plan and purposes of the Lord, like the Lord has a perfect plan for me. And he does. But we are naive and ignorant if we don't think the enemy has a plan for our life as well. You see, actually, we read it in John 10. Jump to John 10 a minute. It says this. It says, in any minute now, it says, the thief's purpose, speaking of the devil, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Like there is a plan for your life. The enemy wants to take you out. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill you, literally. He wants to make you sick. He wants to destroy your future. But Jesus says, this is my purpose for them. It's to give them a rich and satisfying life. And we see even here that these kingdoms that are at war with one another. In fact, in Colossians 13, 1, 13, 14, it says that He has rescued us, speaking of Jesus, He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Again, Paul speaking of the two kingdoms, the two forces at work. And it dates right back to the very dawn of time in the Garden of Eden. When we know Satan, the fallen angel of God, you can read about it in Ezekiel, you can read about it in Revelation, uh, you can read about it in Isaiah. Satan, this fallen angel of God, comes to Adam and Eve, the, the people that God loved and the people that God made, and challenged what God had said to them. God said to them, hey, Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but do not touch this tree right here. And the first thing the devil does is he comes to them and he says, did God really say that? And it's amazing how the devil's primary tactic is to try and get you to question the Word of God. And we see right back then in the Garden of Eden, these two struggles and kingdoms that are at war with one another and at conflict with one another. We see them right through the Gospels when Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, you can't even get through Mark without seeing four occasions where Jesus is confronted with the kingdom of darkness. Yet in the church, we're kind of just so blind to it so often. We just think, ah, you know what? 
my, my kind of my, my issue is with this person. And so often in the church there is division and dissension because what the enemy loves to do is he loves to get us fighting with one another and other people. Yet in Ephesians 6, if we can go back where he says put on the spiritual armor of God, he says this. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Most of the world, most countries are bent on trying to wipe one another off the face of the planet or at least threaten it. But that's not our battle. That's not our fight. Paul says it's against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And it all sounds very kind of out there and weird and bizarre. But I guess what Paul is trying to say, hey, this battle is so real. And the thing that you think is the enemy isn't the enemy. The thing that you spend so much of your life fighting against isn't the thing that you need to be fighting against. Every relational breakdown, let me tell you who the author of that is. It's Satan. Every false religion in this world, let me tell you who the author of that is. It's Satan. New age, spiritualism, all those things that are trying to win people's affection and attention. Let me tell you what the author of that is. It's Satan. And it sounds heavy and it sounds harsh, but the truth is it's true. It's so important that we know this. We even see it in our school systems where we're trying to push God out of the equation completely and, and trying to teach our children that this evolution process worked itself out. Like there was no God, there is no God. Even though the Bible says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God, the Word was with God in the beginning. Even though the Bible tells us this, like the school system, education system, and sometimes even good-hearted parents just trying to make sense of this say to their kids, no, no, we came from monkeys. I've even heard some Christians say, no, I believe in the evolution process. But at some point we have to go, no, no, no. The Bible doesn't bow the knee to worldly philosophies. Worldly philosophies have to bow the knee to Scripture, right? And so we look at this evolution process and we can understand the enemy's tactic in it because, hey, if, if we're just here by chance, then there's no accountability in this life. I can do what I want. I can live a chaotic life for 80 years. I can just you know, just center myself in my own little world, just pleasing myself, do my own thing. And at the end, there's no accountability. And that's all very well. But as soon as you center stage the evolution idea, let me tell you what also you're losing out on, not just the accountability, but purpose and meaning. Because all of a sudden, you're just here by chance. You're here because like a gazillion billion years ago, there was a big bang in the cosmos. And, you know, after that, then all of a sudden, monkeys and out of monkeys, you know, people I don't know how that works but I guess you know if I had a face like Dan's I'd probably be inclined to believe it as well now I'm playing I'm playing Dan I'm playing you know I remember this a few years ago when me and Louise were leaving um, church one Sunday night and it was the good old days right it was the good old days and what made it good was the fact that there was a subway you know the sandwich shop on Ashley Road? That place was a godsend, man. I'm telling you, like, lunch times at work were awesome. Just rock up to Subway, fill in your little Subway points, and eventually earn a foot long or whatever. But after Sunday night, we thought, we're not going to get a KFC tonight. We're going to go to Subway. And we go to Subway, and there's this Polish guy called Adam. And he's serving people like the bread and all this. And he said, bread and wine. I'm so church, aren't I? Uh, serving people bread and, and, and meat and all that. And uh, he just says to us, oh, what have you been doing tonight? And I says, oh, we, we've been to church tonight. And he says, oh, he goes, are you um, the happy, clap, clappy kind of churchgoers? And I says, yeah, we are happy and we are clappy. Look, we love to clap. We'll clap now and we'll just clap. We are happy, clappy Christians. He says, oh, cool. He says, do you believe that prayer works? And I was like, yeah, of course I believe prayer works, man. I'm a happy, clappy Christian. 
Like, I totally believe prayer works. He's like, oh, great, that's awesome. Can you just wait there one minute? So instead of taking our sandwiches and going, we wait until he clears out the customers, maybe about half an hour or so, and he gets them out of the shop, and he sits the shutter down, and we're thinking, is he going to kill us? What is going on right now? Like, this is the end. This is the end. Like, I used to love Subway, but I'm going to die here tonight. And um, anyway, he says, oh, cool. He says, you know, I've been really asking that someone like you would come along, he says, because do you believe that God still works today and still speaks today? I'm like, yeah, of course. And he said, well, let me tell you what I believe. And he got uh, the subway piece of paper that he wrapped the sandwich in and he put it on the table that we were sat at and he got his pen. Do you remember this, Louise? And started drafting out his whole philosophy about how we came to be. And he talks about this big bang, right? So he puts that there on this bit of paper, then he draws an arrow, and then suddenly out of nowhere, there's a lizard in a tree, right? And I'm looking at this going, okay, fair enough, and then what? And then he says, then the lizard walks into the sea, right, and becomes a fish. Is that the right round? I can't remember. It was absolutely bonkers, right? And then basically the, the, the right hook was then we became monkeys and then eventually we go from monkey to human being eating cereal in a refined way. And, um, you know, I'm looking at this diagram that he's kind of drawn from this kind of bang. To, and I'm looking, I'm going, man, you've got more faith than me. I'm literally looking at this diagram thinking, how is it easier to believe this? But as soon as I say, no, I believe Jesus came 2,000 years ago, they're like, what are you smoking? Like, how has it ever been easier to believe in this whole unaccountable, without meaning and purpose, evolution process than it has been to believe that God created everything? It wasn't, and then it was. Like, I don't believe, I don't like, claim to be some apologetical kind of mastermind, but for me, I mean, this evolution thing is absolutely nuts. But Paul does tell us, doesn't he? He says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They can't really make sense of it. Like they try to overthink this idea that you wasn't, but then you were. And you were created by God for God. You were created by God with a purpose. There's a purpose and there's a mark on your life. There is something that he wants you to do that only you can do. And and I honestly believe that most of the root of the mental challenges that we're seeing in the world play out today is because people have been disconnected from purpose. That they live and there's just no point to it. That's why we see the spirit of suicide just going across the nation and this depressive spirit and insecure and anxious kind of mentality that we see in so many people because actually, you know, if I'm not created for a purpose, then no one's going to miss me when I'm gone. And the whole thing is a lie. In fact, Jesus says, never believe anything the devil says because he only speaks lies. And even today, as I'm trying to speak truth and put truth in your ears, and Harrison has spoken truth, even in you, there might be a sense of a check because often, lots of the time, we're shaped by the world rather than by the word of God. And so anyways, this guy, Adam, at this subway shop, he kind of, I says, well, that's all cool, right? And I remember just turning over the sheet of paper. And I says, can I just draw out what I believe? And I just remember drawing a cross. And... um, you know, just trying to show them, I just believe that God made you, but actually you fell short of the glory of God because of sin in your life. And it didn't end there. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son who died on the cross. And this cross changes everything for you. And I remember he kind of moved off the point quite quick to the point where he says, do you believe that miracles still happen? And I said, yeah. And he says, oh, brilliant. And he goes over to the fridge and he gets a water bottle out of the fridge. Right? And he gets this water bottle and puts it on the table in front of me and Louise and he says, right, can you turn that into wine? 
I was like, well, how, how long we got here? Like, just a cheeky little fermentation process. I, <laughs> I said, well, you want us to pray for it? I've never been confronted with such a kind of brash like, invite before. And I says, Adam, I says, my wife will be more than happy to pray over that water bottle. I says, Louise, pray. And as Louise kind of wraps her hands around the bottle, I kind of put my hand on Louise. And I'm like, oh, Louise, lead us in the prayer. I totally threw her under the bus. It was awesome. Do you remember this moment? Yes. <laughs> and she's praying. And it was, a, it was a solid eight. Solid eight out of ten prayer. It was a good prayer. Like, it was a good prayer. She's a good prayer, Louise. And uh, I'm kind of like just peering through my eyes thinking, oh, God, please let it be done. Like, please let it be done. It's kind of interesting that, like, I noticed that nothing shifted by appearance in the bottle. And so when Louise finishes, I think, right now, I'm going to pray now. Because clearly God needs more time. That's the issue here. So I'll buy God some time by using some really good Christianese words that he just really loves. Like, I throw him some good old sanctification and all that sort of stuff. And, you know. So, Father God, if you never do another thing for us, this is the kind of testimony we want to write a book about right here. And I look, and nothing's changed. And Adam said to me, so see, that's the problem with your faith. Like, fortunately, God has given me many gifts, and one of them is the gift of the gap, right? And I said, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, it hasn't changed. And I says, oh, did you want red wine? Sorry. I was like, so sorry. You should have been more detailed. I was like, maybe it's white wine. I said, look, there's only one way to find out. Let's not just go on appearance. Let's taste that bad boy, right? And so anyways, he grabs a bottle and he says, actually, we can't open this because I'm the one who got it from the fridge. And he got really funny about that. He says, we can't open it. And I says, well, I guess we'll never know then, will we, Adam? I says, but you'll find out tomorrow when some 10-year-old orders some water and gets plastered in the corner of a subway. <laughs> no! <laughs> you know, imagine that. God is real. And it was so interesting because for me in this moment, I guess I had so many questions aimed at God. Because time and time again, I've put myself out there and I'm made looking foolish because I have plenty more testimonies where I've tried to step out and share my faith with somebody and it's either backfired at best or it's just gone horribly wrong at worst. And I come home thinking, what was the point in that? What was the point in that? And, and I guess what I'm trying to say today is I don't profess to have all the answers. In fact, I've still got so many questions. I don't know why sometimes I pray for somebody to be healed and we see a healing there and then. And at other times we pray for people with what I believe to be the same faith, but we don't see the breakthrough. I remember Phil sharing a story back along where him and Emily, this was years ago, needed a new fridge freezer. And their small group gathered around, they prayed for it, and they got a fridge freezer like miraculously the next day. Awesome. And we're like celebrating, oh God, Jehovah Jireh, you're so good. But then someone in their small groups gets rushed into hospital and their life is on the line and they pray. But yet this person dies. And you're left there thinking, what on earth does this mean? Is God more bothered around a fridge freezer than a human life? Of course he's not. But that's the thing about the church is we don't profess to have all the answers. I think sometimes that's part of our problem is we try to win people intellectually. But all we can come and say, hey, I don't have all the answers to your questions, but I do believe I have the answer to your problems. And his name is Jesus Christ. You see, if you're able to win somebody with a persuasive argument, 
You can lose them to a persuasive argument. This is why your story is so important. As you sit down and and share your story, hey, I I don't know all about this kind of archaeological stuff. I don't know about all this apologetical stuff. I don't know about this DNA stuff. I don't even know about this evolution stuff. But let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And every single person who professes to be a Christian here this morning has that. Has a moment where we read in Colossians 1, 13, where they were in the kingdom of darkness, like Harrison, but then in the next moment, after calling on the name of the Lord, they've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. There's a shift. There's a moment. This, for me, is so important. Because the mandate on the church is this. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. In fact, what precedes that famous instruction that Jesus gives is this. He says, he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, making disciples of all the nations. In other words, there is an authority on your life, if you know Jesus as your Savior today, that is given not just to showboat, but to actually win people. But the struggle is real. It's a wrestle. Why? Because Satan doesn't want the kingdom of God to expand and extend. He wants it to fade. He wants it to shrink. He wants believers even to become discouraged and demoralized and just fade off the map, off the radar. But Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, hey, I'm going to build my church. That's what Jesus says. And then he goes on, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Like there is something about this thing that you cannot stop. Like the church has outlived empires and and dictators and government. The church is so strong. And as global powers shift, maybe from the America to Chinese or to the Welsh, wherever it goes, who knows? (laughs) Hopefully not the Welsh. No. (laughs) Awkward. Stay on track. But there is this sense that no matter where these powers shift, no matter what plays out in the world, whether there's a Brexit, whether there's no Brexit, whether it's Trump, whether it's Clinton, whatever the outcome of these things, Jesus says, look, I'm going to build my church. And so often we kind of get petrified by the political landscape. Oh my gosh, the devil's winning. No, 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 no. 2,000 years ago, the cross established the fact that the war is done, the war is over. Jesus says, I will build my church. And I love the thing that Jesus uses, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I love that because so often what we think is like, this idea, and I think I've shared this before, that the, the, like, almost like hell's on the front foot, but gates are not an offensive weapon. <laughs> think about it. Like, gates are a defensive weapon. It's like if you're going to battle, you don't look at a gun and a gate and go, I'll take the gate on this occasion. <laughs> Imagine that would be so funny. I'm going to build me a flipping hedge fence right here. Suckers! implying Jesus saying the gates of hell like where's the gates well they're they're the thing securing the kingdom of darkness because that's the thing that's under threat the church is advancing the church is being built the church is moving forward but just because we called Sunny Hill Church doesn't mean we get that destiny of the church because what determines the future of the church is the people that call the church home we are the church can't just say we're Sunny Hill Church therefore we're good to go no 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 
church is a fellowship of people oriented around a saviour saying, I want to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Because I understand that the struggle is real and I know that the kingdom of darkness is trying to expand. But we understand, according to Matthew 16, Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We are going to grow. We are going to extend. We are going to expand. We're going to stretch out our ten ropes. We're going to grow this thing. We're going to plant more churches. We're going to raise more leaders. We're going to send more missions. We've got to do it. Why? Because Jesus says that's what he wants to do. Going back to this Adam Polish guy in the subway shop, he, at the end we pray for him and there's just a real good God moment. and It's kind of interesting because I say, listen, do you want a Bible? And he says, oh, I'd love a Bible, please. And I was like, right, tomorrow morning, first thing, we'll bring you a Bible. And I go home and it actually happened to be this Bible. And um, it's kind of interesting because I actually found this Bible at a youth club. I'm not going to lie. I didn't pay for this, unfortunately. It actually belongs to someone called Louis. Um, I don't know who Louis is, but he's missing a Bible right now. But I've had it now for like five years, so it's too bad. Finders keepers, right? And um, I had this at home. I had gone through the youth group and anyone? does anyone know who this is? We couldn't find who it was. So I just kept it in case I needed to give it away. And so I wrote a message to Adam in the back of it. And uh, the next morning, me and Louise went to this subway to give him this Bible. And um, it's crazy, because that was on the Sunday night. We rock up on the Monday morning. And this was when life went really sucky, because the subway was closed. It was boarded up halfway. And, and overnight, the next day, they just... They called quits on the shop. Whoever was doing the franchise just shut it down. And everyone who was employed by Subway Ashley Road like, didn't know it was coming, yet now Subway was shut. And I had no means of getting this Bible to Adam, hence why now I've still got it and I'm using it. But for me, it was just that real sense of, wow. Like, God, I wonder how much in your purposes that played a part that you knew that this might be the opportunity where... Me and Louise aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Louise far more than me, obviously. Brownie points. But, but in truth, like we're not perfect. But all we can be in that moment before a person who is looking for a saviour is just sharing our story. Fighting to invite. Adam, you need to get to church. Adam, you need to come to know Jesus. And you never know when the opportunity is going to pass. You never know how long you've got somebody in your life. You never know how long they're going to live. We're not promised tomorrow. That's what the Bible says. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. That's why it's important that as Paul says in Ephesians, he says, make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the struggle is real. He says the days are evil. The struggle is real. And yet Harrison is not unique in that there's 10,000 Harrisons outside those doors. There might even be 10 Harrisons inside these doors. People who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the reason I love this story, because what's the challenge to me, and he referenced it in his testimony, was that it wasn't Sonny Hill that knocked on his door. It was Jesus who came and knocked on his heart. And that's awesome, and I love that. I love the fact that Jesus moves like that. But I believe that Jesus' preferred way is to use the church to go into the world and reach people. You never know. Last week I spoke on the message, that's my seat. And I challenge you to invite three people from your world. Harrison's got more faith. He says, invite five, ten, a hundred, whatever. Do it. Why? Because God loves what he's made. He has a plan and a purpose for every single person he's made. And I just want to challenge you today that as you go, don't just be encouraged by Harrison's story, but understand that there are many people that God wants to reach through you like Harrison. 
And we've introduced this idea of Testimony Sunday because what it hopefully does is it reminds you that there's a mission field. It reminds you that there's a mission opportunity. And actually, it's not like Billy Graham all the time filling up football stadiums, although that's cool. Normally, it's just ordinary people going around their ordinary lives but bringing an extraordinary message of Jesus Christ into those who are broken. And so with that in mind this morning, I'm just going to ask every head to be bowed I to be closed because I want to give an opportunity for anyone who doesn't know Jesus as their saviour today to call on his name. The, the Bible says, it's quite clear, it's not like a 10-step process. It just says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Simply just call on the name of the Lord. That call infers a sense of, I need help, Lord. <laughs> like, I've tried, I've struggled. Jesus, will you help me? Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Elsewhere it says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And these simple acts of faith, it's not about your performance. It's not about how good a person you've been or how good you can be, how many old people you can help cross the road and do all those things. It's, it's actually just about choosing to believe that Jesus is your saviour, that Jesus came to die for you. And so this morning... Maybe you're clogged up in the new age philosophy or maybe, maybe you've just been pursuing wealth and, you know, because it's not just the stuff that seems spiritual that can be a distraction. It can be the stuff that seems like physical and normal. It can be your career. You can put other things before God. Maybe this morning you just acknowledge that you need Jesus to come into your heart and change you from the inside out. Because Paul says, to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. And if you want to call on the name of Jesus, your Savior today, there is no pressure on you. But I want to give you the opportunity just to say, yes, I want to make that commitment today. And I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front. I'm not going to even ask you to stand where you are. I'm just simply going to ask you to raise your hand where you sit. And I'm going to count to three, and then you can put it right back down. And we just want to pray with you afterwards and help you start this journey of faith. But if that's you this morning, and you just want to reach out to Jesus, and you want to respond to the invitation of faith, with every head bowed and every eye closed I'm just going to count to three and if that's you raise your hand one two okay three great let's stand to our feet together I want to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Richard Father God I thank you Lord I thank you this morning, Lord, that we're reminded of a Jesus who loves us, of a Father who sent his one and only Son to die for us. And God, I pray, God, for Sunny Hill Church. I pray, God, that you would help us resist becoming just a church-going congregation, that you would resist us from becoming just a people who go through the motions. But help us to become the church that you died for. Help us to become the church that you want us to be. A church that is committed to one another in community. And a church that is committed to reaching the lost for your name's sake. Jesus, I thank you that 2,000 years ago you modeled what it means to go. When you left the glory of heaven and you left that eternal reality to step into time itself. Coming as a man, coming as a baby, coming as a fragile infant. God, you came and you modeled to us what it means to go into all the world. And Father God, we may not feel like we're equipped to do it. We may not feel like we're ready to do it. But Jesus, for those who profess to have a relationship with you, I thank you, God, that we have a story. 
And that God simply, that's what it is to witness. It's to go and say, hey, I've met the risen Lord. I've met the risen Lord. God, I pray, Father, that you would give us your Holy Spirit in greater measure, Lord. God, that we would go with boldness into the world and begin to extend an invitation, not professing to have all the answers, but professing to have the answer, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters standing with this morning. And I just pray that you would bless them as we go today. Would you keep this word with them? Would you rattle them with it this week, God, as they open the word, as they seek to pray? Would you just keep reminding them, hey, there are seats to fill. There are people to bring. There are friends to reach. God, I just pray, God, that you would just put that burden in our heart, Lord, that over the next 12 months, God, we would see such expansion from people getting saved. God, that we would see such growth from people, not just coming to church and getting saved, but the church going out and reaching people getting saved, Father. I pray, God, just for a shift in this environment and atmosphere, Lord God, that whilst we love the praise party, Lord, that we would begin to understand that we're not just here to celebrate. We're here with the commission. We're here with the purpose. So God, we celebrate and we praise and we worship, but not so we can just leave feeling good, although we do feel lighter when we go, but that we go feeling empowered and encouraged, ready to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is dead and perishing. Give us boldness, confidence, and courage to do that, Lord. Just pray for my brothers and sisters in that, in Jesus' name. Amen.